and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy and tell you, even in the case of a movie like this week, when the final couple is clearly flawless and meant to be together, why they should have picked a different love interest. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie slash Christmas Carol. (laughs) Oh, yes. This week, I am Aunt Sandy. Uh, What what does that leave for young Samantha, then? Who who shall I be? I want to be one of the, the, I guess they're not Zoomers. They're whatever comes after Zoomers. Uh, The Greek chorus of children. Because Zoomers are like 24 years old or the oldest of them, right? So teens are Zoomers now. Yeah, teens are Zoomers now. They're Gen Z. They got like a whole... They're Generation Alpha. Sadie, bona fide Zoomer, settled no, this debate. No, because for us. Sadie is baby. She's like Wait. the tail end, actually, because Sadie was born at the end of '96, and that is the millennial cutoff. Even though we call Sadie a Zoomer all the time because she, yeah, like actually I'm a is, cusper. You know, she grew up as a Zoomer. Yeah, but it's people born the year after Sadie who are just the start of the Zoomers, Samantha. So the Generation right. Alpha is begins in early 2010s. So like the little littles in the movie, the two young boys, they would be Gen Alpha, but the teens would still gotcha. be Gen Z. I think okay, I want to be one of the Zoomer teens. There, you, you can be the um, the bossier Zoomer teen. Sounds good. I'll look her up on IMDb at some point. But we're doing single all the way, which Sadie brought into our lives. Thank you, Sadie. Sadie has just written a piece about this movie on them. I have indeed. Somebody pick I, up from there. Um, <laughs> Have the wonderful, lovely Samantha she mentioned to me about potentially doing single a review of Single All the Way. And in my time with the screener, I think I watched it like four times. Um, and I will, of course, link my article uh, once this episode is up again so that you can read through it for a little bit more uh, meaty taste of my thoughts. But um, just right out of the gate, I did enjoy this movie so much and I enjoyed writing about it. It was very refreshing and I got to marinate a lot on not only single all the way, but also what makes up a holiday rom-com and also kind of where we are in the state of Christmas rom-coms with queer people and kind of how single all the way compares to happiest season, which we will get into all of that after our summary. Yeah. Did we ever decide who would summarize, by the way? We did not. Uh, no. Um, we can okay. kind of go, because can, you've seen the movie at least five times now, yeah. and I yeah, just I can saw do it, it, like finished 20 minutes ago. So any very important details that you may forget, Sadie, also, I'm here to help. Just but as a quick you, you time out have section. Expertise. Um, <laughs> Samantha, I feel like your audio sounds kind of weird. I'm, I think it I'm dipped into all the something connections. else. Let me just double check it. But Sadie, someone at Netflix must have seen you watch that screener four times in in their secret Netflix lab. They were like, got him. (laughs) (laughs) I know. They were like, we really have the queers on lock. Which, by the way, I can go ahead and start because I do have this movie kind of low-key memorized a bit. Um, So anyway, it starts the way most rom-coms, a Christmassy rom-com start, which is that um, there's the main character, Peter, played by Michael Yuri, who is just kind of, he's in LA. He's runs, I'm not 
totally sure what his job is. He's like a social media manager, social media guy. Um, And he very clearly does not enjoy his job. And pretty much the only bright spot in his life in LA is his best friend, Nick, who I believe is played by um, and I may not be pronouncing this name correctly. Please help me along the way. Philemon Chambers. Philemon right? Chambers, yes. Um, who yeah. is absolutely gorgeous human being, by the way. Such a great leading guy. Um, or I guess I should say love interest. Um, but when I say leading guy, I mean the love interest, the opposite person. Um, because usually in like these types of holiday rom-coms, there's like the person who is a stand-in for you, like the reader or the watcher, which in this case is Peter. And then there's like the hunky uh, love interest, the leading man, which is uh, Nick. So anyway, anyway, so Nick is his best friend, roommate. They've known each other for like 10 years. Um, and, but they've never, they've never dated platonic all the way. And Peter is very unlucky in love, even though he has such a large dating pool, um, as a queer man in Los Angeles, uh, he really has not had a partner last longer than like two months. Um, and so when we start, he's very excited. It's the holiday season. He's getting ready to go home with his family and he's going to ask his boyfriend, a cardiologist. And I could not for the life of me remember the name. Like I, I just, I forget it instantly and it's nowhere on IMDb. Uh, but that kind of goes to show how much this guy doesn't matter because um, we first meet him at this <laughs> exactly. party and he is like, not to my taste. Um, so I was initially nervous when I first saw this guy. I was like, I don't want to have to uh, fake like did, I'm into this. He like, uh, he performed dreaminess so like on the nose that it made you suspicious. Which I will say kudos to that actor because he was exactly the role that he should have been um, because Peter is very excited to bring him home to meet his family. The guy agrees, but then uh, the next day or a few days later, uh, Nick is out on a task rabbit job, which is a real service. I did not know that task rabbit existed, but by the end of this movie, I was an expert at the, text of the task rabbit it's kind of like fiverr or like did they sponsor it whoa yeah put a pin in that is that why he never quit his task rabbit job by the end because they're like this is such a fun and convenient side job to have that you'll just want to keep doing it forever even after funny you end up with the love of your life probably did sponsor (laughs) it now that i'm thinking about it because i did have that moment where i was like yeah i feel like the task rabbit thing was just like what he's doing because he doesn't want to move forward with his book writing career they give so it some <laughs> nominal excuse like he likes to serve people but it's like uh, if you made enough money off your children's book to like live in los angeles like um <laughs> i don't know why my phone started playing our podcast <laughs> while, I, <laughs> while we're recording our podcast that was a, a weird disturbing haunting meta moment <laughs> Uh, it must have, yeah. Siri is the ghost in the machine right now. Um, but, but like, if you're making enough money off your children's book to live in Los Angeles, you are not doing Task Rabbit for like, you know, five dollar. Yeah. Your publisher tips. is waiting on you to just submit a draft, any draft of your sequel to your children's book about you adopting a Labrador from the shelter. What are you going to do? Task rabbit. That's that's the canon in this movie. (laughs) 
Can I say that I first of all love like the whole premise of Nick being like a children's book author who's like has writer's block and so he bides his time by doing task rabbit jobs. <laughs> um, but anyway, Nick, while out on said task rabbit job, sees that the cardiologist has a wife, so he is uh, cheating on his wife with Peter. Peter is the other guy uh, in this case, and so Peter calls oh, him. Oh my goodness! Him out, and um, as he should. And then Peter is like, well, I literally spent like the last hour and a half on FaceTime with every member of my family hyping up this big surprise, which was going to be bringing a guy home for the first time. And so he tries to convince Nick unsuccessfully, I might add, to pose as his boyfriend Um, And I loved this part because it kind of encapsulates the vibes of the fake dating trope without the like absurdity of the dating trope because he tries to convince Nick, right? And then Nick is immediately like, "Um, I'm pretty sure that the way to convince your family that you are mentally stable is not by lying to them about (laughs) about this. Um, Holiday and Handcuffs 2007 could take a few notes. I also wrote about how that was a queer canon in another separate article for them. Another shameless plug. Um, (laughs) So Peter takes Nick home with him to a small little town in New Hampshire. And by the way, I don't know if either of you know this, but I am obsessed with finding places in movies and TV shows and also just like pictures that I see on Twitter. Like if I'm scrolling on Twitter and I see a random photo of someone like on the street. No, 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 no. New Hampshire. I um using so No, like, but like did they actually film in New Hampshire? They filmed in uh Canada, I believe. But yeah, I think they filmed in Canada. <laughs> but um, but no no no. There is one scene near the end of the movie where for a split second you can see um Nick's phone like sliding, like he pulls out his phone and he's going to the Boston airport on Apple Maps, and you can kind of see see where the starting point is but i had to pause and rewind like 17 times trying to (laughs) see what the starting point was and i have figured out that this town is supposed to be somewhere north of londonderry new hampshire which it is wild to me that there is in a hamlet in new hampshire there is dairy londonderry North Dairy and then New London Dairy, <laughs> all all in like a, a thirty mile radius. Um, but that was a side note. But yes, I love doing that. Literally, if people just send me photos of themselves randomly, like on vacation on like a street, please do that if you feel comfortable. I will spend hours trying to find the exact corner where that photo was taken. <laughs> It's my one joy in life. That's besides the point. (laughs) Anyway, Peter takes Nick back home to New Hampshire. And um, as soon as Peter and Nick 
connect with Peter's family, including Christmas Carol, played by Kathy uh, Najimi, I believe is her last name. She also played Peggy in King of the Hill. She's an icon. Um, and also the two sisters. Wife of the person who sings the end credits song, in fact. Oh, what? That, I was like, what's his tie in here? Th- that's that's her husband. Who Kevin sings the Snowplow the Santa Claus song. Oh my Wait a god! What a, oh, I love song. Damn! And they had her movie sister dancing with him in that time, just to rub in the the sibling um, dynamic there. I love that. Um, and his two sisters, everyone is so wonderful and so loving and supportive. So they are a little bumbly in some aspects of, of his queerness, but it's very sweet. Like she immediately starts talking about like her LGBTT child and like, um, they make a very funny Oprah joke. She like and wholeheartedly is trying. Yes. And like all it's of like, them It's are. super endearing. I know. It's so lovely. And also the dad, very accurate to like, I mean, <laughs> I guess New Hampshire isn't technically Midwestern, but it's kind of the similar vibes where he immediately puts Nick uh, to task <laughs> in like fixing up the house, which is like all Midwestern dads just love to immediately exploit their guests and make them do things around the house. And so anyway, once they arrive there, Peter tries to sell off uh, his relationship to Nick and Nick immediately is like, nope, you should go on a blind date that your mom has set up. Okay. Carol has a new gym trainer in town. Play uh, his name is James. Um, I'm trying to think about who the actor's name is. Um, do I Luke McFarlane? Which I have the IMDb for this memorized from editing your and several other pieces about this, where I'm just a memory bank for names like (laughs) Kathy Najimi, Luke McFarlane, Philemon Chambers. And the only one I don't know how to pronounce is Michael Uri, Uri? Uri? I always Uri. thought it was Yuri. It's like the panic at the disco lead singer, like Brendan Yuri. Yeah, right? oh, Brandon Yuri. Right. Okay. Um anyway, James is a hunk. Um Luke McFarlane. Oh yes. This movie was fantastic at serving us many hot people. Um, which again, yes. really Christmas rom family was hot. Let me tell you, like, they struggle ugh. with that. They struggle. Like it is, <laughs> it is it is it's a hard time. And I think part of it, it, I mean, I would say that the two main characters are much more like queer hot, which is that like they just fit more of like the bill for us queer people, in my opinion. That being said, though, Luke McFarlane's still very attractive. Could make bank in you with yeah the Christmas rom com world the James also character very good. yeah he like dings the super conventionally attractive hot like checklist off while everybody else is super hot it, Jennifer Coolidge is there oh my god and the the um guy who's married to like the elder sister father of the teenage daughters he's barely in the movie but oh like my so husband hot. walking through the room was like he reminds me of you know and it took him like a little while to think of who he was trying to say Jimmy Smith like he was like yeah that level of of straight guy hot which is saying a lot very hot movie but anyway uh Peter does not want to go out on this date with James. Um, And I think part of that was just that he didn't really want to 
find a connection with anyone in New Hampshire because he is seriously at this point secretly considering moving back to New Hampshire from LA. Um, and what I love about this also, I know that I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the summary, but I keep having these subsections. But what I love about this is that it does have that, you know, small town girl, in this case, Peter guy moves to LA and then goes back to their hometown kind of thing, which is a very common trope in these types of rom-coms. But it always, always feels like they're just moving back for the guy. And so this kind of turns that on its head because if, uh, spoiler alert, (laughs) Peter had ended up with James, then that would have been kind of what it was, was that he's moving back because of James. When in reality, he wants to move back because he misses his family and he doesn't love who he is in LA. He doesn't love his life. The only person that he truly cares about in LA is Nick. Um, And so anyway, he ends up breaking down and he goes on this date with James and it's absolutely fantastic. And while he is out on this date, his family is arguing heatedly amongst themselves with half of them being, well, I'd say half, mostly just the mom is like, no, Nick and Peter do not love each other. They are just platonic. They're just best friends. I really want this thing with James to work out. And then the rest of the family are like, Nick and Peter are literally soulmates. Shut up, mom. We're going to do everything within our power to make sure that they end up together during this Christmas break. Um, And so Peter goes on more and more dates with James. He does like ski stuff, etc. Meanwhile, Nick is kind of at home with the family a lot and kind of spends a lot of time with them. Um, And I would say one of my critiques of the movie is just that I wanted more time with Nick because I think that he's like the actor is so phenomenal and I found his character so interesting Um, but you know, you can't have everything in a Christmas rom-com. I'll tell you that. But anyway, uh, where am I? They decide to help out Aunt Sandy played by Jennifer Coolidge, uh, who is hosting this year's Christmas play at the local school. And so Nick builds the, uh, manger and helps with all of that, Peter does stuff too, I'm sure. <laughs> you don't they don't really do like a lot of like effort into like the the insert character because it's supposed to just be how like you and him are both wooed by the leading guy and I was. He was fantastic. Um but the whole time every time that Peter goes out on a date with James like to go to the Christmas tree farm or going on a ski trip or just walking around downtown. He's talking about Nick pretty much the whole time, uh, the whole time. (laughs) And, um, there's a scene where the two teenage girls, Peter's eldest nieces, trap Nick on a roof and they're like, tell us the truth. Do you love our Uncle Peter? And he's like, unfortunately, yes, I do. I am in love with your Uncle Peter. Um, and <laughs> then they later corner Peter and ask him the same thing. And he basically also says yes, but he is afraid that if he were to come out about his feelings, then he could potentially lose Nick. Because again, he is unlucky in love. And so he's afraid. He doesn't want to lose the most important person in his life. And, oh, uh, uh, 
Anyway, so they have the Christmas play. Am I missing anything? I'm just going off of my memory here. No. No, you can okay, do stellar stuff, Sadie. <sighs> I'm on a roll. We're almost there. We're at the final final line. So the play happens. Jennifer Coolidge kills it. And James is in the crowd. And he can see Nick and Peter kind of standing near the stage watching. And they're like curled up around each other, which queer platonic people do do a lot. I will say that. But it is not that full of sexual tension. I will also say that. And so they are very clearly oh, like in the love watching rubbing. this play. <laughs> yes, girl. And so James sees that. He, I think at this point, realizes like, oh, yeah, this guy is definitely in love with his best friend. And then also Christmas Carol looks over and sees them. And she's like, yeah, you guys were right. They are definitely 100% in love with each other. Um, and so after the play, uh, Nick... So prior to the play, one quick thing, Nick had been told by the twins, the twin girls, the teeny, the teenies, uh, that Peter is in love with Nick, that the feeling is reciprocated. So Nick, after the play, pauses Peter and tells him that he loves him. And Peter in true rom-com lead fashion, gives a bullshit answer and is like, I do know Can we talk about this later? <laughs> and so then James comes and Peter's like, let's all go out to drink. And Nick is like, I'm not feeling it. And so Nick goes home, immediately packs up and heads out on his way to leave to go to Boston to get to the airport um, because he has been humiliated and he thinks that the feelings are not reciprocated because Peter definitely did not give him uh, the vibe that they were. And so he is heartbroken and he's going to go back um, and he's going to leave on Christmas. And so Peter, meanwhile, oblivious is at the local pub uh, owned by his sister, and he's sitting there with James. And basically, James has to break it to him that he loves Nick. And he's like, bro, I'm sorry. I know that you dig me, but you are in love with Nick. You got to go deal with that. And Peter is like, oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> and so he rushes home, sees that Nick has picked up all of his stuff and has headed out. And so Peter is freaking out. He drives down Main Street and he sees their rental car parked on the side of the road. So he gets out and he walks into the storefront that the rental car was parked in front of. And he sees that uh, Nick has paused to take a task rabbit job cleaning up this old... Um, uh, store that was closing this empty, empty space. Um, because I guess his flight wasn't for a few hours or something. I'm not entirely sure. Personally, I would have just headed straight to the airport and waited for like six he, hours. He but- took the task rabbit task. Yeah. Like he was just like, yeah, task rabbit is this important to me. I'm going. My five star rating is everything. I was- <laughs> I was shocked. Um, But he, Peter walks in and he sees Nick standing in the middle of the, of the empty storefront. And he's like, why didn't you call me back? Blah, blah, blah. And then Nick is like, you just called me like five minutes ago and I texted you back. And Peter was like, oh, I see. Well, that's beside the point. 
Um, and then Nick tells him that as his Christmas present, he has leased the storefront so that Nick can open up the shop of his dreams because he wanted to own a plant shop. Um, and that he I can- kept wanting them to put the sign that Nick got for Christmas as the name of the store. And it I bothered me that too. this movie did not end with bloom where you're planted over the oh. door of this store covered in plants. Oh, that's what it needed to be. I did too, Samantha. Well, don't worry, because we're about to start talking about the sequel that we are already going to plan on this podcast here in a few minutes, where these two happily married couples, uh, come they come back and set James up with the new gay guy in town for like the next big holiday. <gasps> And oh, it can that be called Bloom so when you're planted in. Perhaps um, <laughs> Peter's assistant, his, uh, I can't remember his name, but the the one who was like very snippy and snarky. I feel like that would be such a fun opposites attract romance. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes. So they uh, kiss and make up and they confess their feelings for each other. And Nick says that he wants to move with Peter to New Hampshire. Because I guess they're only friends or each other, which is perfectly fine. And also, as a side note, it's not really clear uh, where Nick's family is or where they kind of tie into this. But I took it to mean that he... Um, Oh, no there's a line at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought his mom had died because um, Peter says something See, to him at the very beginning about how he'll be all alone, thinking sadly about Christmas without her. Oh, but it also could be he doesn't yeah. have a relationship with his family for whatever reason. I so okay. I thought that Ooh. it meant that she had died as well. But then there's also a line near the end of the film where. Uh, you know, this is after they kiss and Peter says, are you ready to be around my family all the time? And then Nick says, I've been ready for a family for a long time. So I think that means yeah. that his family oh, that were assholes. Really. Mm. And so now he's ready for a Oof. new family that supports him and loves him. Um, anyway, either way you cut it, oh, very sad CD. and very much made me love Nick even more. Um and then at the end, they kiss uh, next to the Christmas tree, and everyone is really happy to see them together. And they say that they're moving to New Hampshire. <gasps> and and the sequel to the dog book. And That's the sequel how to, the dog book. to the family. Nick's dog has been in a dog hotel in California, providing much needed literary inspiration for our resident task rabbit. Yes. And he, he writes it. And oh, if, because of course, the littlest nephews are the biggest fans of Nick's dog book, his first dog book. And so then he writes the sequel about the trauma that Emmett, the dog, had to go through staying at the dog hotel in Los Angeles, wondering if his person would ever come home from Christmas. And he does come home and picks him up so he can move back to New Hampshire with Peter. And they're all going to live there together as a family. So what did you both think of this movie? Please give me your thoughts. Well, Sadie, if I were to give you my just entirely original 100% mind thoughts, I would say Single All the Way is the gay Christmas rom-com that Happiest Season should have been. <laughs> now, let me clarify. <laughs> I think holiday rom-coms defy genre. They're kind of like those their you know, own genre. salads that you find at Midwestern family affairs that I'm so familiar with, having grown up in Missouri as a young Zoomer. <laughs> um, I, 
I am quoting from Sadie's Them.Us article. I am plagiarizing live on air. But as I watched this movie, so here's the chronology here. I commissioned Sadie to write this essay not having seen it, and I edited it and published this essay still not having seen it. And then while watching it for the first time, I just found myself kind of vigorously nodding along as I moved through Sadie's piece mentally in my head and was like, yep, yep. And she's also right about this. And she's also right about this. It was... (laughs) A very pleasant experience watching this. And I agree with all of your points of like where Happiest Season was like, we know what gay people want in a holiday rom-com, hometown homophobia. <laughs> they they want to relive their experiences of going home for the first time after coming out. That'll be really cheery and heartwarming. Uh, single All the Way is like, no, let's just do a Hallmark like comfort food Christmas rom-com and and put Jennifer Coolidge in it and a couple Madonna references and just make it gay. And I'm glad that they did it. I really enjoyed it. And as tropey as it was in some of the Hallmark ways, I really do think, like you said, it did some nuanced stuff with like starting and then immediately undoing the fake relationship trope and then like complicating the feelings about moving back home, which frankly, as like LA and New York become even more like impossible places to live becomes a more and more relatable storyline. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Agreed. I just watched this movie before recording the podcast and I shared Sadie's article on social media yesterday, but even though I typically love spoilers, I thought that this would be a good one to go in just completely pristine, no no thoughts in my head at all. So I am preparing to read Sadie's article once we finish recording this podcast, and I will share it again. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it really, it got me even in the parts where I usually, where the cringe is a little bit too painful in the rom-coms at the end. Like, oh, and I really cared about both of these characters. I loved the family. I appreciated so much. Not only that, well, I mean, I, I trusted the movie even by the time they undid the fake relationship trope because the movie so gracefully vaulted over the complication with the boyfriend at the beginning. It's literally like a you see the dreamy cardiologist and how you know how hard Peter is falling for him you see Nick make the discovery and then boom it's to the scene where Peter breaks up with the cardiologist over the phone and then no more is said about that you know like that's something that I feel like in even a slightly earlier rom-com would have been dragged out painfully over half of the movie or more Uh, you know the scenes with um, James were so good when and the mother has her reasons. She has always rooted for Nick and Peter to get together. But because she has read her LGBTT children, loving your LGBT child book, she is trying so hard to not stereotype her kid and not shove him into something that she thinks he might not want one way that she kind of pushes too hard in the other way. Um, So lots of just little complications like that that were very refreshing because there were so many beats where it could have followed a more typical trope, tropey script. And instead it would subvert it slightly into a new trope or 
for a fresh angle on the trope, you know? And I like, Mm -hmm. I do really hope, I would love to see a sequel with this where they set up James, the the spin class instructor, ski instructor with someone um, because he really was a fantastic other guy and that he was just a great character. He didn't do anything. I'm loving this trend in, uh, well, I don't know if it's in new rom-coms, but in one we watched recently as well, but in where they don't have to character assassinate the other guy to make them not an option. Yes. Um, in this movie, it was much more like there was nothing wrong with James. And in fact, he could have potentially been a really good option for Peter. However, the history and the feelings that were already pre-existing between Peter and Nick was the thing that obviated that, not anything else. So I just thought it was so funny and delightful. They brought a large number of family members into it with surprising success. You know, you really, you knew who everybody, all the nieces and nephews were. They all got their little lines and it brought the family in, in a meddling fashion that, you know, holiday rom-coms like to set up to drive the plot forward, but in a way that wasn't, was sometimes a little bit, okay, we'll all, you know, scratch our heads and look the other way for a second about how ridiculous this is, but not just wildly so, you know, this isn't the proposal. Um, (laughs) This did, it kind of, it kept a refreshing thread of even when things got a little bit unrealistic, the grounding nature of the family relationships held you in. So yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And also I would say part of the reason why I think the family element works is that they do play kind of like the supporting cast, but also each of them, like each of the actors that play the family members are like, kind of like they're like character actors. Like you have Jennifer Robertson who plays the eldest sister, Lisa, like she is also in Shit's Creek. She was and she amazing. plays just a very, like, a recognizable character. Like, you immediately, within the first two minutes of the movie, you know exactly what this woman is like. You know what she's like at home. You, you know, like, she is just, like, a <laughs> wine mom who is kind of bumbly, loves Hobby Lobby, but is also genuinely very caring towards her gay brother and is just like a good mom, but also has like kind of a Karen haircut, you know, like that's exactly who she is. Um, and so it all works really well. Like they they never overcrowd the main plot. And so it, it works fantastic. Like all of this stuff on paper seems yeah. like a lot to fit into an hour and 30 minutes, but they do it so fantastic. Well, they did. Like, I know. Well, it was kind of some people um, like a little bit. Oh, you finished. I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna say. Um, I I know that some people initially were like worried that it was going to be this kind of like really streakly, you know, super sweet, uh, quote unquote, generic Christmas rom com. But like, that's what I was really hoping for, and that's what it gave me. Like, it gave me the really over-the-top, very talented family members, i.e. Jennifer Robertson, also Jennifer Coolidge, the mom, Kathy Najimy, um, and also gave me such a wonderful romance. Like, I was never angry at Peter, which is, I I often am upset sometimes by some of the moves that, like, the main character makes. And, like, yeah, he 
is he kind of botches it a little bit with Nick uh, in the initial confession. But also, I understand where he's coming from. And like, there's so much happening. And he is afraid to lose his best friend. Like I could I could imagine what that feeling is like. And so I, I, I liked his scenes in in the movie. I thought that he was a very endearing character, and I absolutely loved Nick. And I also loved the both of them. Like they were gay. Shock, shocker. Like one of the things that I mentioned <laughs> in my article is that um, both Abby and Harper in Happiest Season, if you remember. Um, they felt very like, uh, what's the best word for it? Like on paper, they were gay, but you really don't see any of the nuances. Uh, and these aren't stereotypes, but like, just like what, like when you think of like the lesbians that you know in your life, there's just like things that they usually do or say, or like the way that they behave, um, because they're part of a culture. And I got none of that with Abby and Harper. Like it felt very much like we are toning down the queerness 5,000%. Like there were like no lesbian jokes. There was like, like, would it not have been funny to have a scene where Harper has like a pair of like, where she has like long nails and then like her two middle nails are like short, you know, like the very classic signifier of being a Wallowa. You know, or like anything, you know, and so we didn't get that with Happiest Season. But with this movie, there were very funny, like, jokes that you could tell were written by gay people for gay people. Like, where he... It situated um, Peter, yeah, in his culture from the yeah, jump. Yes. Like, when they um show up to the house in New Hampshire, and he's talking about how his mom has to be called Christmas Carol the entire month of December. And Nick is like, not your mom having a Christmas-themed drag name. And I was like, like, yeah. I would say the same damn thing. So would every other queer person. And like, that was so funny. Or like how um, after Peter broke up with his cardiologist boyfriend, and then he immediately turns to his plant and starts talking to it. And it's like, Linda, it looks like it's just you and me again. And I'm like, it's like, (laughs) what queer person wouldn't do that be that dramatic and theatrical and and silly after having a breakup? (laughs) Like, it was just like little things that were just like, so funny and comforting to me. The characters felt very real um, in in the little details like that, I think, was the the thing that I enjoyed probably most about the whole thing. And even going back to the family, I wasn't previously familiar because I haven't watched um, Chits Creek with the character who was the older sister. But when we were bouncing off of that with her, I know, I'll get there. I'll get there someday, Sadie. Then I'll watch it all in three days and I'll talk about it incessantly for like three weeks and we'll be done. <laughs> I didn't want to feel a feeling, you know, when it was out and it seemed like that might be a feeling might threaten if I watched it. Anyhow, um do, 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 do. oh, older sister. That's where I was. Yes, it uh it was such an interesting contrast. I did I thought it was interesting that we all brought up the oldest sister uh so early in discussing this 
because I wanted to um, compare and contrast a little bit with the uh, oldest sister and happiest season, which of course that is a completely different narrative. And what's this? <laughs> Samantha said that some yes. actors just know that they have a homophobic face. Allison Brie, yeah, <laughs> and must use those powers for good. Yeah, this was like <laughs> where, where was Allison Brie in this movie to call them like homophobic slurs? You know that w- it would have really lightened the mood. This whole time I was watching it, I was like, I really need. <laughs> The star of community to come do a hate crime right now. <laughs> but instead of instead of a homophobic older sister, we get just like classic older sister stereotype. And I can say that because I am an oldest sister. Um, you know, of where she thinks she needs to once she seizes an on an idea, she's gotta like boss everybody else into going along with her version of it. And I did laugh out loud at that terrible scene where she was trying to smear. Peter in front of his date because her daughters call her and tell her to sabotage the date with James. And I started laughing out loud and said out loud at the time, like, she just needed permission from anybody. Like, (laughs) as soon as, like, one of her own teenage children tells her, sabotage this date, she's like, yes, here I go. And it's so over the top and ridiculous, but was done with love and was really funny um, in a way that it was just, and God bless happiest season you know I love Kristen Stewart I love Clea Duvall um, you know, the family came around in the end, but it was just a, such a more stressful experience watching that because of the deception and the, oh, is my family actually going to completely hate and reject me because of who I am? Whereas in this movie, they already really, truly know and love not only Peter, but Nick for who they are. And everybody's just sort of... Uh, awkward personalities conspiring uh, to put this together. This this jumble of family puzzle pieces was really pleasant. I think that part of the reason it worked so well for them to have such a large family cast and it came through was sort of the, oh, um, you know, Jordan and the Great Gatsby being all like, oh, I, you know, I love large parties or, you know, I detest, I can't remember which way she said it, but she doesn't like small parties because there's no intimacy. You need large parties so that groups can break apart amongst themselves. And this movie did that very well. And I will step off of my soapbox here in a moment and let somebody else have the floor. But I just wanted to say that one of my favorite parts was Peter dancing with his teenage nieces, uh, the choreographed Britney routine that he had obviously choreographed and they did together when they when the nieces were little children was just delightful. And then Nick and the nephews joined and start dancing. And I loved it. It was fabulous. Somehow, despite them choreographing it 15 years ago, they had predicted the rise of TikTok and did <laughs> perfect TikTok choreography. Did. They were like, one day we'll need to do dances where none of us can move our feet beyond like a tiny circle <laughs> drawn <laughs> drawn around us. So the TikTokiness uh, of it, I'm, I'm interrupting about this once oh, again. Oh, I still found it really endearing. It was super endearing. And because, Samantha, did you make up dances like with your friends when you were a kid? Sadie, did you? No. That I was, was my... inert. <laughs> I was an inert child. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. You were preparing to criticize pop culture, not to participate. No, I have I've been so thankful throughout my entire adulthood that not only did, you know, social media rise, like, but especially that like TikTok and the dances... 
because me and my little friends from like third grade through ninth grade, we would make up, we would choreograph dances together, you know, to perform for an imaginary audience. Um, this probably carried on in high school, but the ones in middle school were just particularly embarrassing. My friend Amber and I had one that we had to, um, was it the offsprings pretty fly for a white guy? That was really something I'm sure could have been a TikTok hit, but I'm very glad that there's no footage of it out there. Yeah, I'm going to regale you both with a brief bit of Mormon lore. There's some Mormon figure where there's some famous quote from them of like, if you make me stand up and draw a circle around my feet, and then I give you my word that I won't step outside the circle, then I'll die in that circle or something. And every time I see TikTok (laughs) choreography, I think about that because they all act like they've got like a tiny little circle around them that they can't exit. And there's a statue of whoever said that at Brigham Young University. And one of the funnier Mormon pranks was drawing (laughs) drawing chalk circles (laughs) around the statue uh, that he couldn't step outside of because he was a statue. But no, Jen, to going back to your earlier point, and again, if I were just giving my original off-the-cuff thoughts about the film, I would say, gay Santa, please give me a holiday romance with two women that doesn't involve me getting gray hairs or feature a flock of homophobic siblings. Um, again, a quote from Sadie's Them Dot Us article. <laughs> but it's like, there's no reason why you can't do this with Kristen Stewart and like dead-eyed uh, Terminator robot lady. <laughs> you know, like, like there are lo- many queer women who are out to their families and not to stereotype too broadly, but like, I feel like often uh, in that situation, and this is part of why Happiest Season didn't like ring super true to me. I don't want to say people don't face like overt total familial rejection in that way. Like cis queer women can't like face that in their families. But often it's more like uh, your daughter came out in college and then you just kind of like treat her weird. It's like, oh, there's the weird like defect in the family and not like, oh my God, I'm so disappointed in you. Mm -hmm. It's like, if that family had four daughters, they would be like, here are cool three straight daughters. And then we'll kind of just not talk about the other one. Oh, that family would have been thrilled if she had ended up with Aubrey Plaza in the movie though, because once they, you the yeah, the homophobia was a problem there, but they were ready to, then they were ready to move on to classism. That would be their problem with Terminator woman, you know? But it, it kind <laughs> yeah. of felt like they were trying to make a certain kind of like homophobia believable and happiest season that certainly still happens, but I think is like much less common today in the type of family dynamic that was presented in the film. I would say so and many also- people too, if you know that your family is going to be a homophobic turd about you, you're not going home for big Christmas festivities with them to be closeted about it, you know? Like, I I mean, I'm not trying to invalidate anyone's experience out there. I'm sure it happens, but yeah. (laughs) Like, what also kind of soured me towards Happiest Season, and this is entirely kind of like separate from the romantic thing, is just that like, they are a Republican like pillar in in Pennsylvania. It's implied. And it's also very heavily implied that he is like a Republican politician, or at the very least, a moderate. 
Um, but but it is implied that he's Republican. I'm trying to think back to one line that he says at like his speech thing where he's like, our foundations yeah. are on family and faith and no. et cetera. And I was just like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> oh. But it's like a Republican speech from like an era of like conservative politics that's like 20 years old in America. Yeah. You know, like if it were actually in 2020, he would be like, you know, uh, Kenyan Barack Obama wants to like vaccinate everybody so that we all turn trans, you know, like that would be <laughs> what he would be saying at his yeah. political rally. And so oh at, my at God. the end, it's like, yeah, they do accept Harper, I guess, or they, you know, are whatever, but um, they also are still that family. Like it's yeah. now just that they are Where's Republican, the but they they have a your bigoted a family loves that just they're probably you. going to <laughs> never mention on any like political platform ever. And or so if they do, they're going to use like, her to prove how open-minded they are versus you know it's it's just not yeah. great and it was also like you don't that, like, root she for the family so in that way. rich and so i didn't particularly care i mean this is all just kind of like old happy a season stuff being dredged up but i was just kind of like i'm a little bit like i i, I i'm less sympathetic for like filthy rich people call me crazy <laughs> and so i was just like whatever I mean, I guess it's like harder to to you know separate yourself from your family when you maybe get like a million dollar trust fund when you turn thirty five. But <laughs> true, true. I this does lead me into what uh, one of the parts that I thought was weird about single all the way um, was the religious Christmas pageant play that yeah. somehow was allowed to be named Jesus H Christ and took place at a school that that was like very that was weird that was kind of shoved in there I guess for the you know the younger actors the nieces and nephews to have something to do and to give Aunt Sandy some more time and and all of that business. But I did think that that was strange. I was trying to figure that out the whole time because usually like a nativity pageant that's about the birth of Christ is a religious thing. They did say a prayer before it, even if it was Madonna's exact prayer um, before the like a prayer tour. Um, <laughs> that that was a head scratcher to me. So if I'm trying to come up with criticisms uh, to level it single all the way, that one was a little bit, huh? But I... Okay. It's one of those things that like (laughs) I was also kind of annoyed by or like bothered by. I guess their reasoning was that they did not want the play or the play's plot to be like a big part at all in like the main storyline. And so they chose a a, um, a play subject that I think they assume that like a lot of people already know or are familiar with. I mean, we know that that's not true because there are people who aren't uh, <laughs> Christian, shockingly, or who aren't like familiar with Christianity that much. Um, and so... I understand that they were trying to choose something that was a little bit more generic, but they could have chosen like, like Christmas Carol or something else. It sort of um, it signified to me that this family is 
culturally Christian, if not practicing in a church, you know, was sort of what it, that was sort of the text there. Um, But yeah, that was a little bit bizarre, (laughs) but I did love it. And unless you guys want to jump in, do we want to talk about Aunt Sandy now, or do we want to talk about Nick's capableness uh, as the most attractive, besides the actor being like just incredibly, like supremely physically perfection, like, damn, make this guy into a Christmas ornament too, just so you can look at him. Well, but my, I didn't. I, <laughs> my other guy to get my left field option out of the way early is Emmett. I think Nick <laughs> should have stayed home with his dog, written a sequel because it's not that hard to come up with a sequel to your children's book that's just about like. I have a cute dog. <laughs> like, just do. I have a cute dog too. And um, N- Nick leaves, and then you get that apartment to yourself in LA with all your book money. Damn. Done. I mean, that does sound appealing, like, minus the true love with another human being. Um, on top of that, of your dog. I've got to, I can never let, I said this out loud. Um, Justin was passing through the room and neither my mother nor my mother-in-law are allowed to see this movie because both of them have hassled me at many points over the years that they they are convinced that I can become a multimillionaire by writing children's books about my pets. And it's difficult to explain to them that this is not how the publishing industry works. And this movie does flagrantly feed into that uh, <laughs> that misconception uh, for boomer parents. <laughs> You know, that being said, though, I have always thought to myself that if I just put in a little bit of effort to write a children's book, I could get it published. (laughs) The children's book industry is the nastiest, most cut. Well, I just, I knew somebody who worked on the publishing side of. (laughs) I have a children's book idea as well that I won't say on air in case I ever get to publish it. But similarly to Jen, I have heard like, Despite everyone looking at it and being like, I could do this, which like you probably can, it's apparently really hard to break into it. And yet if you break into it and you have an idea that connects with an art style that catches parents' eyes on bookshelves, you can just like print money doing it. But to like get in there, you it really feels like even more than other parts of the industry, like you need to know somebody yeah. who's like willing to eyes wide <laughs> shut you into that club. Yes. <laughs> I so literally our podcast one time breaking I told exposés mom, on the children's like, publishing industry. I made up a random small story to my mom once when I was like eight. And to this day, every once in a while, she asks me, she's like, so why haven't you published that as a children's book yet? And I'm like, I don't remember it. She's like, well, you better. What is it about boomer parents thinking that you can just fucking just churn them out? Oh, Sadie, one time I got champagne drunk with my mother-in-law. I love her so much. She is like the ideal mother-in-law. But I told her about my novel that I was working on. This was like a decade ago. Um, She still remembers the details. And she asks me about the characters and why haven't I published this yet? And I'm like, damn, Donna, like staying on my ass about it. Like, I mean, Probably I should have finished it and then just like published it for free online because I don't know if anybody will pay me. But 
boomer, boomer parents, you know, if you ever like that really is probably a good writing tip. If you need motivation to stay on your shit and like actually finish a thing, a project that you're working on, find a boomer mom and tell them about it. And then just like schedule another call with them like three months, six months. However, like they'll just stay on your ass enough that eventually you'll have to get it done. Did anyone else just hear internet noise go through? their headphones. I did, and I was scared it was from my connection. Is the FBI spying on Um, our podcast? I hate to tell you this. Well, FBI was just that was just my leg rasping across my satin bedspread. Oh, by the way, it sounded like AOL. This is the time we are briefly interrupting our discussion. Did you hear it? I heard, yes, I heard the scritchy, but not like the static noise on top of it. Jen, what are you going to say? Because I want to make a James case. I'm mad that uh, I, please cut out the section where I talk about. No. Satin bed sheets. No, in my we are not. Feet. We are not because Sadie's satin bed sheets are leading me into our explanation for our regular listeners of why our podcast is late this week. Is because Sadie not only is an expert rom com <laughs> watcher. Went to a Christmas tree lighting. She went to. Wait a second. <laughs> let me pull this up. Sadie, at our usual recording time last night, not only had to go to a Christmas tree lighting, but then immediately afterward had a date to go to, quote, a flexi kitten class at the local pole dancing joint. So Sadie, how did that all go? I'm glad you're in your satin pajamas today. You got to fill us in on your last night. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I have this that I have the floor to talk about my night last night because it was like out of a sitcom because we went to the lighting so it's <laughs> called the magic tree and I don't know if that's something that like other communities do but we have like five around town but there's like a massive one and it's just like this gigantic really humongous oak tree that they wrap every single branch, twig, trunk, all of it in like at least like $5,000 worth of Christmas lights. Um, And so it's just massive. And the lighting was yesterday. And so they had a bunch of food trucks. They had a brass band playing etc. And we get there and we are watching the lighting and we decide to split up Hannah and I she was going to go get some vegan tacos. I was going to go get a burger. I'm in the line for like 15 minutes. I'm like the second person left in line. Uh, Like I'm there's one person ahead of me and they put up a sign that says out of fries and I almost started crying because the only reason I was in line was for the fries. So I get up and I'm like, I'll just order a random burger because I can't read the menu. It's too dark. So I just order a random burger and then I'm waiting for my food and I a guy comes up to get his order, like pick it up. And the guy in the food truck leans down and he says, okay, we don't have any Doritos, but I do have some more fries in the bag. (gasps) And I gasped audibly. And so another guy came up and he offered him the same thing. So when I, when he calls my name, I go up to him and I take my order and I say, oh, by the way, did you guys get any more fries? Question mark, you know? And he says, no. And I'm like, you dirty liar. (laughs) 
How dare you do this while I'm trying to enjoy my magic tree behind me. And as a bonus, it was a blue cheese extravaganza burger. And the thing about blue cheese is that around there's like a very low threshold before you become viscerally aware that you've just eaten like a lot of mold. Um, And so that was a great... Way so, so we were there at the Christmas tree lighting. Um, we stood under the lit up gazebo for a little while. We were just vibing. The brass band was playing, um, and then we left. We went back home, changed, and then we went to the pole dancing class uh, or the um, flexi class, and it was very nice. Uh, very chill. I'm very sore in parts of my body that I didn't know existed. And then I immediately came back home and fell asleep. But that blue cheese burger, there were a few times where I was like, boy, this was really a bad idea to have this on this night. (laughs) So maybe not a blue cheese extravaganza right before flexi kitten pole dancing for future reference for our listeners. Okay. You did answer actually my most. We do, we do, uh, they do the classes in the same place that they do the pole dancing. Um, and I was an idiot and the only, like, I chose a spot that was like right in front of a pole. So every time I was like doing like a move, I would like hit my, my back and my head against the pole. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, please release me from this agony. Sadie, you're perfect. And you did answer my most important question because I was going to ask what outfit you put on to go to a flexi kit and pole dancing class. Plus Christmas tree lighting. I thought you all were dressing oh. one in the same. <laughs> Literally, I I went out to Hannah and I was like, so are we planning on just like staying out? Um, and Hannah was like, I think we can just stay out. And I was like, but Hannah, I want to wear my festive sweater. And then <laughs> I can't wear my festive sweater <laughs> at the class. And so she was like, okay, fine. I can take you home and change. And so I got to wear my cute little turtleneck cardigan combo. And then I came home and I changed into some leggings. But that was my um, hilarious Christmas tree lighting moment. Um, It was very fun. Did you... um did you meet a certain someone that your mom was trying to set you up with at your Christmas tree lighting? Oh, I wish I, you know what? My mom has tried to set me up one or two times with different people. And there was one person that I was on the phone with her and she was like, yeah, my old uh, nurse friend, Stacy, was kind of trying to pitch me this one guy or her son to, to me for you. And I was like, oh, really? And she was like, yeah, but I don't think you'd really, I don't think it would really work. And I was like, yeah, I probably agree with you, but why? And then she said, his name was Travis. And I said, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> wait, wait, this begs explanation. Does it? Um, a man in Missouri named Travis? Uh, cut, cut, the, cut the cameras. <laughs> It's not happening. (laughs) There's no way that Travis from Missouri doesn't own like an entire closet full of camo printed uh, cargo shorts. (laughs) And and oh, so 
Just checking on the specificity. I knew a few Travises growing up, but see, uh, I am named Jennifer and I married a man named Justin. And to any Zoomers listening to our podcast, that may not like mean anything, but these were just like just wildly ubiquitously common names. Like we have the commonest fucking names for our age group of all time. So it's a little hard to you know, pinpoint stereotypes. Now, if you, uh, in elementary school, I did have a crush on one once, but if I was introduced to say a Brandon in East Tennessee, no, you, in my, my age group, you would know not to go for that. So very interesting to learn that Travis, Travis is Missouri. Okay. Oh yeah, 100%. I don't know, like I haven't met that many Travises because most Travises are one type of guy and that type of guy goes mudding every weekend. So, (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess brings me to um, back to single all the way because I thought it was so funny and relatable how Peter was like, when Carol was trying to set him up with James, he was like, what is he doing in in this town? And she was like, what are you doing in this town? (laughs) Which I thought was very funny. I agree. Also, okay, I'm about to out myself here as I am an artificial Christmas tree 100% fan. I really do not like the idea of having to kill a like 10 year old ish tree in its growth to put it in my house. Now, I do not judge if other people are into natural Christmas trees. That's your business. That's fine. But I love an artificial tree. So I was all the way with mom on that one. And also Aunt Sandy wearing the uh, the earrings, which our own beloved Sadie uh, has already posted to her Instagram. <laughs> wearing earrings, thus like. I What about you, Christmas Carol? came on screen with those big earrings, I was obsessed. I was obsessed. I also liked from like a real queer America perspective, James's little speech of like, I just liked it here, Mm -hmm. you know, because you have um, Peter coming in from LA being like, ew, why do you live in like my hometown in New Hampshire? And he's like, yeah, uh, I was in Boston and then I was here ski instructing and like, it's nice here. And yes, there are fewer people to date, but like, uh, I like the pace of life here and I think people are nice and I like that I'm close to the outdoors so I can ski. Um, and that's, that's cool to see some of that in something so mainstream that doesn't present it as like, what? Like, why, why would queer people live in more yeah. rural parts of America? Oh my God, Samantha, you yeah. uh, bring up such a point here too, that the, the other guy in this is not like a hometown hero so that it's, you know, it becomes a your hometown versus outside struggle. You know, this is another guy who also came from elsewhere, but just likes this place, you know? So it's a little bit of a, it's only ever a struggle between the attraction of him being there in Nick's mind, because Nick is trying to predict Peter's moves, you know, and responding to that instead of, it was a very um, believable, if somewhat, if, if frustrating while it was going on, the miscommunications between them 
seemed much more grounded than they usually do in these types mm-hmm. of, you know, family Christmas rom-com scenarios. Yeah, like I like just what I loved about James was that he as you as you both said, like he's just an average guy. And like I think that what I love about Peter is that he makes this decision to move back to his home because he realizes like I had this I mean I had this idea of LA you know he did but then like the reality is that you can find happiness elsewhere like with your family whether that's your chosen family or like your biological family or whatever and I think that Nick also feels the same. And so moving back home to New Hampshire was like, I know where my people are and I'm not happy in LA. And like, you can open up a plant shop anywhere and you would probably do better in New Hampshire than you would in LA where there's like a plant shop on every corner. Um, And I think that that's something that I loved seeing in this gay rom-com because Hannah and I talk about this a lot. The idea that like, if everyone leaves your community, then there's no one here to help the people that were like you, that are like you were, you know, growing up. And so like, if every gay person leaves Missouri or and like to go to New York, then you kind of don't build a community for people growing up queer here. And then it's just like this endless cycle of like just fleeing home rather than like building communities. And I'm not saying that you have to like stay where you grew up all the time, right? But like there's more to life than LA or New York City. Sadie, I can hear the sound of Samantha's heart swelling listening to you saying this. And yes, I was, I feel like a traitor because now I'm in Arizona instead of Tennessee. But yeah, this is, this is a pro smaller town podcast. Like no offense, New York and LA will visit y'all. But (laughs) uh, it is, we are still, we are still in a red state here in a larger uh, urban area, but <laughs> I, I, uh, we, we record this as news breaks on the internet that yes. uh, apparently as Gawker is reporting a V club staffers in Chicago are apparently being told that they have to move to Los Angeles if they want to keep what? their jobs. Chicago is uh, in Why uh, did you move to yeah. LA from Chicago? What the fuck? And it's, it's sad to me that like we even today even after a pandemic we're still insisting we're still on in like the pandemic. if you want to be in media or participate in culture or have things to say you need to move to one of two places where yeah. you can't even afford to live jesus christ so go james and um yes james don't buy real queer america buy patricia wants to cuddle i'm done with real queer america <laughs> i renounce both. it no 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 <laughs> um but i i can make a case for james in that one he's hot two he can teach you how to ski which i've always wanted to do yes. because i'm terrified of it and um three like uh, uh, he seems pretty well adjusted to new hampshire and it seems like a safer bet than like betting that Nick is going to be happy in New Hampshire. 
Yeah, I'm I'd a little worried about that. I do worry where about where Nick yeah. comes from. Did it? Did it ever say? I know that he was also new in LA, so he's not from there. They just kind of did the whole cut off Nick's. Nick has no family life or connections, but his dog, which does sound a little worrisome. Now that you lay it out there on the table like that, they have been friends for what? Like he and Nick have been together on a platonic level for like a decade, right? So that's some structure there. But yeah, what did? What did Nick come to LA for besides writing a children's book and doing TaskRabbit? I imagine I that know. like he probably came to LA kind of the way that a lot of queer people do, which is that they have had a bad experience in their hometown, wherever that may be, or with their family specifically. And so they're like, LA everyone's gay there, right? You know? And like, especially for queer people who have had trauma, like I definitely can understand that feeling. And like, you've heard all of the things about how LA is super queer friendly, etc. which I'm sure it is. I've never been to LA. Um, but at the end of the day, LA, I don't think is friendly. That's not the adjective I would use, but... <laughs> <laughs> Like, no offense like, to any yeah. person from LA who may be listening to this. <laughs> You're lovely, but I think that, like, on the on the whole, I'm sure that it's like a common experience <laughs> that like you move to LA for that. And then the longer you're there, the more that you realize that that's not enough. That, you know, like, do I actually enjoy the people here? Do I enjoy the infrastructure? Do I enjoy the nature and the landscape? Do I enjoy my proximity or distance from my loved ones? Like, those are all factors that I think, like, when you're like, in your early 20s, you move somewhere and you're like, ah, nightlife, I'm living in LA. And then after a while, you're just like, <laughs> Well, true. this doesn't really fulfill me in the way that I had hoped. That leads me to another um, positive of this movie that I wanted to loud in a way that doesn't sound, um, I don't know, like a backhanded compliment or weird. I love seeing leads in rom-coms that aren't 23, you know? And yes. uh, I I figured that these actors were both around my age. It looks like the lead is a few years older than me. He is extraordinarily well-preserved, like drop the skin routine, Michael well Yuri. Well-preserved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like a I, you, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's just so cliche. I uh, am fortunate to have, um, you know, both older and younger friends and like, you know, a real life that has helped to save me from some of what I might feel if uh, just looking at images you see in society otherwise. But it's just nice to see people who aren't just out of college in a, a rom-com, you know, like believably into their into their 30s and 40s. Also, our beloved icon Jennifer Coolidge out there showing you how to just be the most fabulous at 60. Oh, yeah. You had stuff that you wanted to say about Aunt Sandy, Jen. Oh, Aunt Sandy. Well, what... Bless her. I mean, she obviously, she got to be one of the um, most unlikable characters in the movie at times, too. Because <laughs> Aunt Sandy yeah. is, but Aunt Sandy is just that, <laughs> that icon that you're like, damn, like, she's a real shithead sometimes, but she's just so fab. We all put up with her. And 
She, <laughs> she is. is. I don't know Jennifer Coolidge like excels but she's at like that type of character. The family member. She is the family member that you can't wait to see. Like, you're so excited. You're like, oh my God, I'm so excited to see Ian Sandy. Like, I'm so excited. And then after like 15 minutes, you're like, oh my God, Aunt Sandy is a lot. <laughs> I forget this every time. <laughs> Oh, I hope I hope to be that person in my nibbling's life someday. Uh, <laughs> but I thought this was a very um, nice alternative to having, you know, that as as we've spoken about at length, this movie not being like homophobia and coming out based, but instead of like the homophobic uncle, you get this like queer icon, Jennifer Coolidge, Aunt Sandy, who doesn't really understand why the gays, as she refers to them, love her, but she likes it and them and and knows. And that was a funny setup between the Kathy Najimy as the mother who's trying so hard to understand and be as appropriate as possible for her gay son versus Aunt Sandy, who is like, the most inappropriate person on planet earth who actually is more familiar with and functions better like amongst gay culture (laughs) than Peter's mother does. So she was just delightful. Just everybody should cast Jennifer Coolidge in some movie, in some role, somewhere, always. The gays love She was great. Yeah, I, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know why, me. but I like it. She's got her glove on, sipping her whiskey. <laughs> speaking of, um, speaking of Jennifer Coolidge and Generation Alpha, I there was an article recently that referred to Britney Spears correctly as a gay icon, and I saw some very earnest uh, youngsters being like, "But Britney Spears isn't gay," and it's like, "Oh, darling, oh, children, please." please. <laughs> Please grow up just a little bit. I guess, you know, I didn't have access to the internet when I was like 12 or whatever, but like um, only to like write letters to my pen pal or whatever. So I guess we get to watch like an entire generation discover what the phrase gay icon means in real time. Um, you even know, though it's this, a concept at least as old as Judy Garland. <laughs> this makes me think of what I anticipate will be like the main criticism of single all the way amongst like people 18 and under which is like them just being like this is such a like shallow outdated version of like queerness and i'm gonna have to be the one to break it to them and be like queer people over the age of like 24 still talk like this (laughs) like and also like Oh, wow. The spirit of Christmas rom-coms <laughs> is that it is inherently a little bit dated to when it comes out. Like, because it has to have jokes that land, but also are universal. And I think that this does it perfectly. Like, I feel like I could watch this with a queer person in like their 40s as they're like sipping wine and writing all of their Christmas cards and they would be laughing their ass off, which is like wonderful. And I do feel like this hit on a... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I I thought... Well, uh, we kept and Sadie, I know that you probably you also watch movies this way. I, I when I get to watch a movie with Samantha, I make her watch it this way. I yell about uh, 
who, which of my loved ones, uh, each character reminds me of, you know, and uh, there were several, this movie not only was, I felt like hit the generational thing with, um, you know, the, uh, seeing the, the mother, children, grandchildren, like how they all sort of approached it. But sometimes the, even the main characters, their dialogue would remind me not only of like, myself and my compatriots but sometimes he would say something and i would be like say to my spouse like oh my god that's exactly like your gogol kin what and how he talks to his husband um (laughs) it came out very well also it uh uh we i'm sure that the phrase gungal has been out there for a long time but um ken does like to be called that so i found it very endearing that uh you know peter was also a gungal yes i i thought that this was like the perfectly right amount of like queer phrases that are clearly like written for the screen in like kind of a stiff way but like it's fine, but what without being like overly like, okay, this is like offensive kind of way. And I'm thinking like, I just don't know if basically any TV show at the moment or like movie is really nailing it 100%, like the way that queer people interact with each other or like speak. And I'm also thinking of um, the very titular like Zoomer thing, which is the new Gossip Girl, which... I don't know if either of you <laughs> have seen the new Gossip Girl. No, but I've been but meaning to because I <laughs> watched. I watched the first ten minutes. I watched the first two. Yeah, seasons I was like, of I hate original. everyone. <laughs> Bye. It is kind of. It is kind of painful, like physically painful. And I think that it because it's trying to do a thing of like, we're more woke than the last season or the last generation of Gossip Girl. And like everyone this time around is queer and all of this stuff. But it's so like, uh, 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 I can't even describe it, but it's so like trying so hard to be the most current iteration of like queerness that it's very painful to watch happen in front of your very horrified eyes. (laughs) Oh, this, wow. This feels like uh, me watching original Gossip Girl just about life, but this is about queerness and amazing. I've got to check it out now. I need to see what is... um, could uh wait? Could we take the entirely made up like psyops intergener uh, intergenerational word chuggy and apply it to new Gossip Girl? Oh my God, chuggy! Well, chuggy is more <laughs> like I renounce chuggy officially. <laughs> chuggy is like that's more a, like pumpkin what, spice lattes. Um, there's already a word Uggs. for that. That's what it's we used basic. to call basic pumpkin spice lattes and. Uggs is I basic, know, and people calling it chuggy is just people trying to be like, we're new and different. No, no, no. I, I fully don't fetch. fully understand chuggy to its full extent. Um, I've had it explained to me by but Elliot, I want to call. and I think his final verdict was just like, you know it when you see it, <laughs> which I don't, I don't know. Oh, good. Tell Elliot, I do know it when I see it, even though I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen the previews and everything. I want to call New Gossip Girl 
Shugi. I want the word Shugi to be banished from the internet <laughs> with the little men in black pens. Well, you know what, Samantha? I asked about that with Yeast Hog, and my wish was not granted, so I don't see why yours nah. should be. <laughs> I'm going to clockwork orange you I, and force you to listen to the word Yeast Hog. I guess I would have to clockwork orange your ears, though, which, like... You don't have to do because ears are already open by default. You, what are you going to do? Just like play the the sound clip backwards at me for a number of hours until I forget. I'll just play you that annoying TikTok voice or whatever. <laughs> oh, which no. can we talk for a second about how much that like oh, unsettles me? Me too. Where they're like, my grandma told me that I should. Uh, like okay, because so I rarely people. click the sound on for, but sen- sometimes I do because I'm on my I'm I as a, a like solid ass millennial, um, a, kind of an elder millennial. The oldest would have been like seniors when I was a freshman in high school, but here I am. And so I find my uh, TikToks on the Instagram Discover page as reels where they have been converted, and I often don't click on the sound. But then when I do, and I hear that voice read out it is like what the fuck and uh, Sadie I know that we have asked you to explain this to us before and you said that the voice Wait. is just a vibe I believe direct quote but like what so what are is you the talking theme? about like the voice the voice uh to text kind of like where it's it kind, kind of, of like auto-reads? this computery yeah it's like the Siri read oh. yeah yeah I Sadie you know, said okay. post my last five photos over this song and it's <laughs> I, you know what is wild is they've gone through like two to three different voices for that and now they're on like a disney voice like it's a voice that mimics what one of the, the disney fuck? characters and he sounds like he has a smoker's cough like he has like a really raspy voice and it's like kind of extremely unsettling but i think the comedy of it i guess comes from like well number one people don't like to have their own voices number two i guess people just think it's like inherently funny especially if they mispronounce something or like sometimes if you like certain words they like trip up and it like glitches them and so like instead of like if you do like if you let me try to think of an example if you write the word pancake but you put like a little like accent on the a like a little agu like accent then it would like maybe say it as like pancake you know <laughs> like it's like it messes it up this and is so I like, guess people like that it's so wild it's like because me that's playing what... with the text-to-speech function on like my apple too yes! when i was like yes! <laughs> i was a little kid samantha do you Dad remember had when this, you tried like, to send me this is how you can get it to read your document oh no and and i did it with my lights off so it couldn't register my face and it just looked like i was just like quivering uncontrollably completely silent there was no audience were you worried about samantha then like did you think it was a cry for help I I laughed so hard. I I was scared for air. There's just something so funny about when technology messes up. And I think that that's the appeal of the TikTok voice diction. 
that's wow. Damn. That's the voice to text shit that got me when I was in fifth grade sitting in front of my dad's like Mac then like check this out and you could type anything and have it read it to you. Wow. Well, should we? Should we? <laughs> I feel like we've gotten no closer to understanding the voice. Although before we rate, I do want to say it is weird to me that people don't want to put their own voice and yet they're on a platform that centers on like being in front of the camera all the time. Like that's my this thing. Is, okay. yeah. is like, I, will I don't want to do to my this. makeup all the time just to be able to like make a comment. I used to hate my own voice. I got really embarrassed by it when I would hear myself on recording until like my, um, (laughs) my premiere blogging years when the uh, original pivot to video happened and um, the place that was hiring my makeup tutorials at the time was like, no, 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 we're going to need to you to make videos now. So then I just had to get over it and do it. And then I just got used to myself. Also, I was friends with Samantha by that time. And she told me that my accent was cute. And that helped like enormously. But I can see why like very young people uh, (laughs) would not be into hearing their own voices digitalized. (laughs) If um, If it makes you both feel better, there is something intrinsic about TikTok that I don't understand. And I have to talk about it for a second in hopes that someone can explain it to me. Um, So when someone posts on TikTok, they so like I'll get, I guess there's like trending hashtags or something or just like hashtags that like are popular or some or being promoted. And so people will post their TikToks, but they'll have like five or six hashtags that have nothing. Like the hashtags never have anything to do with like the actual video. Like it could be a woman talking about her experience um, putting down her dog. I don't know, something like, you know, I don't know, something. And then the hashtags will be like Pepsi freeze challenge and um, Cheeto go lay and like uh Bridgerton ball, like if Bridgerton had just come out or something. And I don't understand how that works. I guess it makes them more likely to go to the For You page, but it also, the tag system is essentially worthless. And also, how do they know which tags to use? And also, sometimes I have to question these people. I'm like, why do you want this to trend? This is just you talking about how your dog died. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. I think sometimes their dog didn't actually die, not to question it, but there is there is some kind of like hyper performativity <laughs> of like personal trauma that seems to be heightened on a video based platform. Um, I don't know. It's really scary. One theory. Like, okay, because during the prime like the twenty ten the twenty teens blogging personal essays area, there was a, you know, very especially um women probably more so than many other populations were kind of that was would be your in, you know, to start getting bylines and getting some money or whatever was to like share dramatic trauma um, via writing. And that's really sad that that's gone to TikTok, like not even for like a $100 paycheck, but just for a chance of getting on the Discover page. Mm-hmm. Damn internet. One of the most hellish so places a person can, can be, but not Londonderry, New Hampshire. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can definitely understand why Peter would want to leave it all behind and just open up a plant shop with his lovely, wonderful handyman husband May slash children's I book say, author. Forsake the instigays. <laughs> I love the, to the where they were doing the real forsake people the photo shoot. trending on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was shot so obviously on like a super professional camera and not an iPhone, even though iPhones can take great shots where they were taking the yeah. pictures of each other. Again, on Samantha's and my friendship, that used to be one of my favorite things in like 2013, 2014 to do would be go out and just take for no reason photo shoots with my friends. And it's great times. And uh, he was just like haphazardly holding his cell phone camera out <laughs> and, and it was like it was DSLR <laughs> quality. Portraits, but that was one of the more affecting in recent memories. Um, should I choose this guy or that guy? Uh, shots where he had you know both Nick and James like blow at the look straight into the camera and blow the cold air of his breath at him and then see how he felt, even though in real life that would be super weird because if you're looking directly into the lens of the camera, you're not looking into the eyes of the person who is taking the shot, so. <laughs> and you know it was it was a little bit apparent that it was filmed in a place where they had to add the cold breath um in post because they both would have been like very um fogged up by that time if it had mm. actually been that cold but i did love this movie <laughs> i will give single all the way four out of five peppermint lattes and i think you know like i just wish it had been shot i wish it had been shot on film that to me would have made it feel like homey in that while you were sleeping kind mm-hmm. of way. And that's maybe my major ding to it is just something that's not its fault, I guess, which is film production shifting to all digital, which just like doesn't have that, I don't know, lived in quality but that I want quoi. from a story about someone going home. Yeah. So that's my verdict. I like it. I like it. I uh, am going to jump in and next and let Sadie have the final review. I'm going to give this film five out of five insta gays in shaving cream beards. I had a delightful time doing it. And it's a little wild, actually, something that maybe I'll bring up as a criticism next Netflix film we watch that there are like no recognizable songs on the soundtrack, you know, they don't want to play music rights anywhere. So the soundtrack was probably not very memorable to me, other than they had that lovely little single all the way song at the end that is apparently by Kathy Najimi's husband performed by. But um, this movie was just a good time. I went in totally fresh. I haven't even read Sadie's article yet, which I'm about to log off and read as soon as we finish recording here. And I just felt delighted. It made me feel good. And yes, give that one supreme instigay who's a little bit elder with the tattoos a little more money than the rest. Um, boom. Five of five. <laughs> boom. I, let's see, I will give single all the way five bottles of wine out of five. I I almost gave it 4.5 bottles of wine out of five because... I would have loved to have seen more of Nick because often I'm not really, I don't really care about the backstory of like, you know, the the leading guy, the love interest. But this time I just found him so compelling and I loved, I loved his character. So I would have liked to have known a little bit more. I understand that they weren't trying to really touch on the family aspect too much um, because they're 
trying to make it a very comforting film for queer people, which I appreciated. But I just wanted more of him, like why he's doing the Task Rabbit and like yeah. what his life is like. What are his past relationships like? Why didn't they work out? All of this stuff. Was it secretly because he loved Peter? I would have loved for that to have been more overt. And that's really my only gripe with the movie. Otherwise, I thought it was fantastic. I love it. I will be watching it many times throughout the season. And it's definitely going to be like one of the hallmark or the main queer romances that I watch during the cold season. Thankfully, finally, I get one. Oh, yeah. Jen, what kind of personal hygiene products should people <laughs> smear all over our faces before they take pictures of us? Wait a second. That didn't even lead into this at all. I say Olay. I was about to just say my usual thing. <laughs> no, do not approach our faces with hygiene products. Actually, I was I was upset for James when um uh when Peter went in and smeared the shaving cream right over his mouth. I know he took it off afterwards with a smile, but I was like, no. Oh, oh, oh. Anyway, don't smear any personal hygiene products on our faces without asking and receiving permission first. But definitely do come talk to us on Twitter at YSSTOG. Or you can send us longer form emails, which we don't check very often. But we are always super delighted when we check and we see what that one has arrived at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com. And if you listen to us on any podcast listening platform that allows like a star rating, you should smear a big old five star rating all over our faces. And if you don't like us like to a five star level, like please just be like James and just recognize that we are not the correct match and step away. And maybe we will be able to match make for you someday in future. Ahem, ahem. ahem, I'm trying to ahem. find my list. <laughs> okay, I have found it. I am ready to begin our lovely, wonderful Patreons that I would love to take uh, you home with to New Hampshire. Anyway, ahem, I would love to thank our lovely, wonderful Patreons, Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, Liz, Brittany, Ace, Mara, Ramey, The Void, Heartleaf, and Ave with Teeth. We love you all so very much, with teeth or without. Happy holidays. Yes. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.